If you get your Bibles and open up to the book of Acts. No, we're going to Ephesians. That was just a joke. (laughs) We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And I do want to make mention of this. Uh, When Pastor asked me to preach tonight, I was very honored to do so because Sunday night has always been my favorite service. And as, a, as early as a Christian, I didn't have, we just had one Sunday service at the church I was at. And, and when I found out, when I got into this independent Baptist, there's a Sunday night service as well. Amen. And I thought, man, you can go back to church Sunday night and hear more preaching? Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. That's, so, the, so it's actually an honor to me. I've always loved Sunday night, so I'm, I'm just happy to, to do that. And, I'm, um, and I just want to praise God here while I'm up here for our pastor. Amen. And so it's, this is very really, uh, humbling for me, and I don't take it lightly, being up in this pulpit. I have a lot of respect for that man, and uh, I, I just, my prayer is that I could, I don't know, hold some sort of candle to him. So um, get him up being Ephesians 4. We're going to be looking at verses 17, like to the end. And I'm normally a guy who can get through about one verse in about 50 minutes. And so I got a whole passage here, and so this is a little different than I normally go, but this book of Ephesians, I don't know of any other way, it's, it's, it all ties together. It's almost as though you'd have to preach through the whole thing. So hopefully I can just capture some, some text here and we can take something away. And I think this is all based upon, if we go to Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace." And so whatever I'm going to say tonight, it's going to be because of the riches of His grace is how we're going to live our life. And I guess the title of the sermon will be Walking Like a Christian, which is exactly what this book's about, this book of Ephesians. And the front end of the book is so doctrinal, you could spend years preaching through this book. And then what I love about Paul's writing is that at the end of it, like where we're going to pick up here, is, is very practical. It's very applicable and very tangible. It's something that we can do. Because I always want something to do with God's Word, right? I, I, I like to know the doctrine, and I like to have it, but, but my problem sometimes is it gets stuck in my head, and then I forget to have to do it, right? Like it misses, it's got like this from here to here kind of is a discrepancy in my life. I can know a lot, but it sometimes doesn't make it to my heart, so it uh, produces action. And so the theme tonight is, is our walk, our conversation Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, just by way of introduction. It says this, I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. And you look at verse uh, 22, kind of going along with this theme of walking. It says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And that word conversation there is not like you're having a conversation with somebody. That's like your way of life your lifestyle, the way you live. And so it's saying here to put off concerning the former conversation, the way you used to live your life, we must put that off. And so that's kind of where we're going to be going tonight. And let's have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll get into it here. Heavenly Father, I do pray that something of eternal value can take place in this place tonight. And that I'm not just being up here because it is Sunday night and it's uh, time to preach. But Lord, I know that you've uh, caused everyone to be here and that you're drawing man unto yourself. And the best way you do with that is through the preaching and teaching of your word. So God, help me to be obedient to your word. Help me just to uh, say exactly what you want me to. And Lord, uh, certainly, it's, 
I certainly can't help these people, but you, you can through me, and I pray that that happens. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so when we talk about the old man and the new man, which is a lot what we're going to talk about tonight, the old man still exists in us. Isn't that right? Like we all woke up with the old man today. Now, I always wish that when, once we got saved that the old man went away, right? But it doesn't. And it would be really nice if it did. But we always wake up, and, and this is going to be like a way that we can put off that old man because I think it's something that has to happen often, like daily, right? And so um, the old man doesn't go away at conversion, and, but we do read a verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Right, so we have that scripture. We have the promise that, that the old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. And so we do have a new life. We are a new creature. But we are constantly battling the old man. And to put this kind of into, into context, we look at verse 13 there. It says uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith. And that's kind of where this is all for. It's kind of what we were talking about this morning. And so we've got to be unified as Christians. And in this church, and, kind of, and, and uh, Pastor DeGarmer did a great job preaching on that this morning, didn't he? I'm, I'm happy for what we heard today already, and I pray this kind of as a continuation of that. But that's, the, that's where we're walking toward. We have a Christian walk. It's an ongoing process. It's, it's our sanctification process. We're constantly moving toward something. And, and according to this, verse 13, it's, um, it says, Till we all come into the unity of the faith, into the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby lie and wait and deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So this, this whole idea is to bring, the, bring us together, right? That's when we're doing our life, we're walking our life as Christians, we're to be being drawn together and going the same direction. And that's very important. And so we look, we're going to pick up in verse 17. This is going to be basically the old walk. It's described here of what we used to walk, basically the walk of an unbeliever, like unsaved people, the world, the way the world lives. Look at verse 17 again. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So if you guys want to turn to Psalm 39, keep your finger in Ephesians 4 because we're going to be coming back to that. But turn to Psalm 39. And you see, it, so it says in the vanity of their mind. So when it talks about vanity, you know, we can think of somebody being vain, maybe being shallow. You know, so maybe someone who stands in front of the mirror all the time or something like that, right? That's, that's being vain. But this is actually more along the lines of being empty. It's a, they're empty. The, that the unbelieving world out there lives, lives an empty life in the vanity of their mind. And so if we look at, if you're in, in Psalm 39, look at, chapter, or look at verse 4. It says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. And what he's saying here, he says, I want to know my end. I want to know how long I'm going to live. That way I can realize how frail I actually am. 
Listen, in the light of eternity, look at verse 5. It says, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is nothing before thee. Verily, every man that is best state is altogether vanity. He's saying that our life, in the grand scheme of things, when we talk about all of eternity, our life is but a handbreadth. Right? And, and this is just kind of talking about how men live. In verse 6, it says, uh, Surely every man that walketh in a vain show, surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And if we consider Ecclesiastes 1.14, it says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That's coming from a guy, Solomon, who's had, who had everything, and he looks back at his life and says, it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. And so vexation of spirit, it just means a vexation means you're frustrated. It's empty. The, the people, the world in our unbelief, we're constantly trying to be fulfilled in things that cannot fulfill us. We want to find things. We want to have possessions. We want to have popularity. We want all these things that are going to fulfill us, and they never do. And it leads to just more emptiness, more vexation, more problems. And you notice there in verse 5, it says, man at his best state is altogether vanity. So I'm not even talking, when you think about an unbeliever, you may think of some vile, horrible person. But this is talking about man at his best day. This is the guy that's down there volunteering at the thrift store or, the, or planting trees in the park. right? The one giving to charity or, or helping along. People that are actually doing good and are actually nice people. Do you realize there's actually really a lot of really nice unbelievers? right? Some of them are even nicer than a lot of church members. Unfortunately, that's, that's true, right? And so we, we see these people at their best state is altogether vanity. It's empty. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how, what you do to others. Our, our whole goal is to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, th- and, that, and that's where we get our fulfillment. Otherwise, it's frustration and, and it's all empty. And people that are very nice and they do all these nice things, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell apart from Jesus Christ. There's going to be a lot of nice people in hell. And on verse thir- uh, 6 there, if you look at that, it says, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. The people just doing their best, doing their own thing, they're just walking in a vain show. And to, a perfect illustration of that, it's, and if you don't believe me, have you ever heard of a thing called Facebook? You want to talk about a vain show? Do we put the worst parts of our life on there or our best? Right? And what are we comparing our lives to with others on there? Their worst or their best? Their social media as a whole. We've got to be careful with that. And let's go back to Ephesians 4. So that's, that's the vein. That's the idea. These are people that are just lost. They, they're, they're unbelievers. They don't know what's, what's going on. In verse 18, look at in, in uh, Ephesians 4, 18, having the understanding darkened. Listen, it's being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Unsaved people cannot understand the Bible. Right? This is a spiritual book. Right? In their carnality, that cannot be understood. And so that leaves them hopeless and blind. They're, they're helpless and hopeless and blind. That's where we all were before Christ. Right? So I'm not trying to say, well, I'm up here and I'm trying to badmouth and be ugly toward people. Not at all. Because listen to me, I was there. And so were you. And so that's, that's this empty state, this, this state of uh, blindness. 
being hopeless and helpless. If we just flip over to Ephesians 2, just a page over here. Ephesians 2, uh, 2 says, Where in the time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among who among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and where by nature the children of wrath, even as others, skip down to verse 12, it says that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So my question is, is when I look around, why in the world do I see Christians wanting to live like that? Why do we want to stick to the things of the world? Why do we want to cling on to the things of the world? Why do we want to live like unbelievers live? We have, a, we have a description here, and we're going to get to it in Ephesians 4, but all of this book describes unbelievers and their life. And my question is, why in the world do we as Christians want to live like that? Because I see a lot of it. I see a lot of the, the clinging to the world. And, and we, do we, are we actually trusting God with our life? I appreciate Brother George at the men's prayer. He says, do we actually... Are we taking our walk with God seriously? And I think we all need to look within, and part of that is to forsake the old man. Again, if we're going to wake up with the old man every day, then, then we're not going to cast him off. Guess what? We're going to be following the course of this world. We're going to be going along the plans of Satan. Because that's, that's our tendency. And Pastor talked about it today, but do you realize the flesh is always going to follow the path of least resistance? And if we have unity in mind, the flesh is always going to resort to tearing somebody down rather than building them up. Because that's our old man. That's, that's what we're best at. And I want to apply this. This has really been weighing on my heart when, when I think about this idea of, of this worldliness in the, in the church and um, our children. So... I want to focus right now on people that maybe not had a 180-degree radical life change conversion story, right? And, and I just want to focus on people that were saved at a young age, people that were raised in the church. We have a few of those in here. And I'm thankful and praise the Lord he can take a life that's been ran into the ground, one that somebody's taken and completely ruined and hurt everyone in their path and he can take it and he can restore it and he can put it together and he can take that person and he can use them and he can, and he can be a vessel in his hand. Amen. Right? And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. If you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, he can put it back together. Amen? Amen? And he will. That's what he wants to do. But what about those that were saved when they're just a little kid? What about those that are little kids now and they're saved? And I struggled with that, honestly, as a, as a dad. My family's a first generation. My little kids are first generation Christians. Listen, I didn't have a mommy and daddy to read the Bible to me. I didn't have a mommy and daddy to take me to church. And a lot of you do have that. And listen to me. Praise the Lord for it. Because you know what? That's God's intention for the family. is to raise little people up to know the Lord. It's to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what God wants. That's what we're intended to do. And we got a lot of babies coming. Amen? And knowing the, the moms carrying them, I know that they're going to be raised like this. 
They're going to be shown the right way to go. One of the best things I've ever seen in my life is my little girls, Lucy and Abby, they were learning how to read. And some of the first words, when they, they could put words together, they, they could read God's word for themselves. And like my little kid just read the Bible and she's only three years old. And then I remember Lucy come up and she's, Daddy, Daddy, I read the Bible. I read out of the Bible today. That's what God wants to see. And so I want to talk to you young people just for a second. Even the little ones and the teenagers and, and even adults who were raised in the church. If you ever think that you're missing out on something. If you ever in your mind think that, that maybe there's something out there that's better than this. There's not. And if you ever think that, if you ever consider, if you think I'm missing out on something, my dad's too strict, my mom doesn't let me do anything, I'm restrained in these rules, they love you so much that they're willing to protect you from what's out there. And if you ever think that you're missing out on something, read Ephesians 4. And I remember explaining this, saying, this is how they live. That's what you're missing out on. You're, you're missing out on being blind being darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in you. That's what you're missing out on. You're missing out on being past feeling, being given over to lasciviousness and working all uncleanliness with greediness. How does that sound? Because that's it. And it may be appealing, and I'm not going to lie to you, it is appealing. The world looks like fun. But it's empty, it's vanity, it's vexation. And this is the truth. You're not missing anything. But listen to me, apart from Christ, we're all in this hopeless and helpless state that we're reading about here in Ephesians. We're all there, apart from Christ. I mean, we wake up in the morning. I wake up in the morning tomorrow and be there without God. I could get through the whole day tomorrow and never, ever acknowledge God. And then when I do that, I get to the end of the day and I never acknowledge him. I never prayed. I never depended on him. But guess who ruled that day? The flesh. And what does that profit? Nothing. Listen, we, we have to remember, we, we, and we have nothing to, to offer God, right? We, we can't just try to be better. We can't, in our, own, in our own strength, try to be good, have good behavior, and try to somehow do this all on our own. Because we really... Because our, our righteousness is what? It's filthy rags, right? right? That no one's righteous, no, not one. And so we have to remember Romans 5, 6 says this, for when we were yet without strength. Yeah. Who does that include? Yeah. Not me, for sure. Yeah. When we were yet uh, without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Yeah. Verse 19 says, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. If you guys want to turn, start turning to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and while you're turning there, talk about verse 19, we're talking about being callous, right? It says, who being past feeling. Right? We can sit there and reject God over and over again, but at some point, God is going to reject you. Right, so you can become a, a reprobate. You can be rejected. When all your desire is evil, and uh, that's kind of with lasciviousness, is a, is a life being filled with, with wickedness, with pleasure, right? And, and this is, um, 
basically um, just how how people are living. They're, so they're kind of like their lifestyle. It says being unclean and, and greedy, right? In all in greediness. I told you to turn there, and then I didn't. So First John chapter two and verse fifteen. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So if you read that, verse 16, that's what the world has to offer you. Is lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And the lust of the flesh. That's, that's living for the world. And it says if you're living for the world, the love of the Father is not in you. These are the, the heathen. The, the ones without are, are living apart from God. It's what they call hedonism. And basically what that means is that if it feels good, do it. Is that what we see in America today? Right? So basically whatever's going to make you feel good, just go ahead and do it. Because that's the end goal is for you to feel good. That's, that's the end of man. It's like humanism, right? The end, of, the end of man is their own good and pleasure instead of the glory of God. So are we living for the glory of God or are we living to appease ourselves? Are we trying to please God or are we trying to please self? You cannot love the world and the Father at the same time. Listen to me. Unbelievers, they're never satisfied in this life. They live a life being unsatisfied, and then they're going to die and go to hell because the only thing that can satisfy our life is Jesus Christ. And I've said it before, but I don't think I can say that enough. I want to get it drilled in our head that the only thing that can satisfy your life, that emptiness you're feeling in your life, if you're sitting in here tonight and you're empty, the only thing that can satisfy that emptiness is Jesus Christ. That's it. You could have all the money in the world and it ain't going to satisfy you. You're just going to want more. You have all the friends in the world, and it's not going to satisfy you. It's only Jesus Christ. So back to our text in Ephesians 4. We have a condition of being saved and living a hopeless, alienated life. There's a lot of, uh, like what Brother George said, there's a lot of believers that are in the church. But that's it. They're still living in a hopeless state. Because they're not fully surrendered depending on God. Verse 20 says, But ye have, and so it says about all the uncleanliness and greediness, and it says, But ye have not so learned Christ. Right? He's saying, You didn't learn that stuff from, from Christ. Listen, you, you can have a better life. You can, t- like today, tonight, right now. You can have a better life. Listen, I go down into that jail. I look at these inmates in the face. I say, you can have a better life. And I'm not talking as, oh, give, pray to Jesus, and you're going to be rich, and he's going to pay off your house, and all this prosperity kind of stuff. I'm talking about real life. A full life in Jesus Christ. Abundant life. Listen to me, Jesus gave his life so that we can have an abundant life. So I'm not talking about just salvation. I'm talking about the way we live our life, the conversation we have when we put on the new man. John 10.10 says, A thief cometh not but 
for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have, they might have it more abundantly. Verse 21 says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So where do we find the truth? Well, according to this, we find it in Jesus, right? The one that's going to be us the abundant life. Verse 22, I'm telling you that these verses, 22 through 24, they, they're very near and dear to me. I read them a lot. Because <laughs> this is, I, I, I seem to need constant help in this. Anyone else? We get a picture of the old man that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is what? Corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We were deceived. It's corrupt. The old man is corrupt and it's deceived. Verse 23 says, And be, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And verse 24, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, like I said, in, we, when we think about the new creature, it says that the old is past and behold, all things are become new. Do you, do you realize it says that all things are become new in that? So when we, when we have verse 24, it says, and you put on the new man, that means every part of you is new in Jesus Christ. Right, Jesus doesn't need any part of our old man in the new man. He doesn't need it. Whatever you had over here in the old man, he doesn't need it in the new man. Your old life, whatever that involved, he doesn't need it in your new life. Because he's making you new. He makes all things new. Not just some of them. Not just most of them. All of them. And uh, you see kind of sandwiched in between there, it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so if we want to turn over to Romans chapter 12. We see that Putting on the new man requires renewal of your mind. We have to have a renewed mind in order to put on the new man. Romans 12.1 is going to kind of reiterate this idea of, of being renewed in your mind, right? And, and why? It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have a very practical solution here, but it's going to require action. We have to do something. Right? We have to do something. We have to react. We see this thing, and then it's going to take action on our part. Amen. Like putting off and putting on is action. Right now, in order to be saved, all you have to do is believe. Amen? Amen. But to, to live the Christian life, to put off the old man and to put on the new man, and to, to live um, in righteousness and true holiness, it's going to require us to do something. We can't just sit back and, and let things go the way that they naturally go. Because I already explained what happens there. That, that's our flesh. We have to work against that. We have to battle against that. 
And so we have this process of this old to new as a process, and the step one to that process is to renewing your attitude and renewing the way that you think. You know, we have to start th- seeing things the way God sees them. We have to start looking at sin the way God sees sin. And what does God think of sin? He hates it. So we have to quit embracing it and start hating it. We have to see people the way God sees them. You realize that God doesn't see you in your failure. God sees you for the potential you have in Jesus Christ. When he sees you, he he doesn't see your failure. He sees his son. But how easy it is for us to go around and pick apart everyone else's failures. Meanwhile, we're acting as though we're better than them. Again, you didn't learn that from Christ. That's your flesh. And when you think that you're so much elevated than someone else, you better get your nose in the book. And you better get on your knees because you have some humbling. God's not pleased with that. We have to look at people as though as the same way God does. We've got to renew the way we think, the, the way we see things. It says righteousness and true holiness. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says to not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? It means that we're to live distinct, separate lives. Listen, if, you're, if our lives look exactly like the rest of the world's lives, then we're certainly not living uh, in righteousness and true holiness. That God is not like any other God. We, we're serving Almighty God, the God of the Bible, and we must reflect that the way we live our life. We can't be going along the same streams of the world. It says, be not conformed to the world. We have to live separate and distinct lives. And we look at verse 25, and and then it turns really practical. And boy, I I really like practical teaching out of God's word. Amen. Amen. And and it's so simple. And uh, although we we tend to complicate things, don't we? It's us that does the complicating. It's, It's very simple. And so, verse 25, it says, wherefore, putting away. And so, we have to get it, get it in our minds that we've got to put away some things. There's some things in our life that we're going to have to put away. Right? And, and that's, that's just, that's a fact. And we have to put away, and, and, beha- and by the way, all this behavior that's described in these next verses is all, is all satanic. Right? This is what Satan would have for us. Right? And, and we have to consider that, that these are all a reflection of he, who he is. You know, it says you're walking after the prince of the power of the air, according to him, and, and all of that. So we've got to put away, the first thing to put away is lying in verse 25. It says, uh, and I don't, I don't want to spend a ton of time describing lying. I think we're all very familiar what lying is. I don't have to stand up here and, and preach about what lying is. But, but, but think about this. Stop lying. Imagine that. Imagine a world if people weren't lying in it. Right? Like, how often are we actually lying? R- really? I mean, we say, well, I don't lie. Well, what happens when you, you, know, you punch the time clock and then you wait 15 minutes before you go to work? That falls into lying and stealing as far as I'm concerned. Right? If we really look, and, and how, much, how often do we stretch the truth? 
I'm very good at it when I start describing something in my life. Well, you should have seen this thing. It was this big. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like ever like growing. And, and, and how often do we just stretch the truth to make our story sound better? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What if we stop doing that? What if we put that off? And you start talking about righteousness and true holiness. It's gonna, you're going to make a difference. It's going to be different. You go to your workplace and stop lying, yeah. guess what? You're going to be looking different. Because yeah. you know what everyone else is doing? Lying. Yeah. So why are we as Christians going to participate in that? Right. Stop lying. I think Paul hits it right on the nail head there. We could, we could spend all night here. And remember, who's the father of lies? Remember John 8.44 says, You are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. So when we're participating in lying, guess who we're, we're on whose side we're on? Well, you certainly aren't on the winning side. Verse 26, it talks about anger. It says, be ye angry and sit not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And so, I'll tell you right now that anger, most of the time, 99% of the time, it leads to sin. All right? So if we're, if we're angry, we're going to be sinning. So what we have to do is control our tempers. Proverbs 16.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. You remember pastor's message in the book of Esther with, with King Ahasuerus, right? He's flying off the handle. And one thing pastor said when he's preaching in that has stuck with me. Is once, he said, once that you're, you're so mad and you're just seeing red in your fear, you're in the flesh. You're sin. That's it. You're sinning already. When you just have that building up in you. And we can think that we're so righteous and I'm doing so well that, I, I'm, man, I'm really done this thing. I'm doing good with anger. And then guess what? There goes the cup of milk on the kitchen table. Ah! You know? And I would just fly off the handle over a glass of milk. And God says, oh, you've got a lot of work to do. And those, those of you who got kids are chuckling. Because they'll pull it out of you. But if we can't take it lightly. If, if, we're, if we're giving into that anger, we have work to do. We have some old man to put off. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Verse 20, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Listen, when you're mad, you're not working the righteousness of God. Remember the new man, he's, he's formed after righteousness and true holiness. Anger, what anger does is it gives place to the devil. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. And I love how he, how he puts this at the end of there. It says, uh, let him steal, steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. So he's saying, not only stop stealing, but why don't you go to work? Amen. And then the stuff that you make, why don't you give it away? Amen. Right? We're not going to simply just stop doing something wrong. If we're going to stop doing something wrong, how about we do something right in place of it? Amen. Yeah. Because we can all stop doing wrong things. 
But if we want to be living apart from the world and distinct separate lives, we better start doing right things. Right? We can all stop doing things, but let's start doing right. Don't steal, but work hard. And remember the, the devil behind stealing again. He, he's steal, kill, and destroy, right? That, that's what the devil does. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Again, he, he counters that, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Edifying is building up. Again, we go back to that old man. What do we do? What, what's the natural thing to do? What's the easy thing to do? Is it easier to tear somebody apart or build them up? Especially somebody you don't like. Do we, do, we, do we tear them up to make ourselves look better, tear them down to make ourselves look better? It says, stop doing that. And it says here, which is good to the use of edifying. Start building people up that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Control your tongue. So basically, in those verses, we have two don'ts and two controls. And I don't think this is like an inclusive list, right? But I think what the, what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across is that there's some things we have, must stop doing, right? There's a couple things to don't do, and then there's a, a few things that we're going to have to start controlling. And that's, that's involved with putting on the new man. That's that new way of thinking. We have to stop doing some things, and we have to start controlling ourselves. There's, I heard this one time from a preacher, and I'm going to pass it on. It says, before... Words come out of your mouth. So when you're talking about controlling yourself, controlling your tongue, controlling your anger, those things, and not being in the flesh, if you can do this, and um, I'm really good at it, by the way, before words come out of your mouth, there's three things. Is it true what you're getting ready to say? Is it kind? And is it necessary? I told my wife that. I said, listen to this. If, if you say something, it's true and kind and necessary. If it's not those three things, don't say it. And you know what she said? Man, this would be a quiet place. <laughs> and you know what? She's right. Imagine a world. Imagine if that's how people talk. Imagine every time that, that someone's going to get they're torn apart and they're going to get torn down as it didn't happen. Imagine that. And start thinking. Like, we, say, we can train a kid. A little, a little kid can understand that. Is what you said true? Kind. Right? And necessary. I struggle with the necessary part. <laughs> if I'm being honest. If you were wondering. Uh, thanks for asking. <clears throat> but, but, the, but seriously, if you can follow those three things, and, and I tell you what, you'll look a lot more like a new man. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Because we often wonder, you know, with our mouths and the way we act and the way we, we start to wonder, you know, it seems like, why don't people really like me? Or we think, you know, I'm not really. And, and maybe it's because of your mouth people don't like you. Just saying. It's a very simple teaching here, and, and I'll, and I'll kind of bring it to a conclusion here. This is very simple. If we read those verses 22 through 24 especially, that's as simple as it gets of how we're to live our life. It's, it's just on off. You, you have something and you put it off and you put something else back on. And then you get into verses 30 and 31 and you can see more of the, uh, the unbeliever's life. And, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. And here's a nice list. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor 
and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Again, if, if you think somehow you're missing out on something from the world, read that verse. That's what, that's what you're missing out on. Now, verse 32. I'll end it here. And be ye kind one to another. I'm sure uh, Pastor Gomer will get to that at some point. One to another, right? We, we're, to be, we're to be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I have in my Bible, tender-hearted, I have it in a box. Because I have to read that often. I question to you, when you read that 32, is, is that verse 32 a reflection of your walk with God? It's, can you read that? Can somebody, would somebody else read that verse and say, oh, that's brother so-and-so right there? Or sister so-and-so. When you, when you read that is, that, is that what your walk looks like? It should be. Right? We've been learning Sunday nights we're going to be a church in action, right? We're supposed to be doing something as a church. There's a lost and dying world out there. And they're going to hell. And so if we want to be a church in action like Pastor preaches on Sunday night, verse 32, it better be our lifestyle. Our lives are to be distinct, they're to be separate, and they're supposed to be unified in this place. Why? So that we can take what's going on in here out there. Right? So we've got we to gotta consider all of these things. And again, tomorrow you're going to wake up with the old man. There's going to be some work to do. Maybe there's some work to do right now. It's only 7 o'clock. The night's still young, right? Let's put on the new man if we're, if we're in the old. We have to remember, too, that God's grace will be sufficient for you to accomplish this. Right? This is, I'm not trying to stand up here and say just to try harder. Listen, man, if you're out, outside of Christ, the Bible talks about you being dead, and if I stand up here to, try, to tell you to try harder, it'd be like standing over a grave with a dead body telling him to try harder to get up. No, we've got to turn to Jesus Christ for life. And then in Him, and by His grace, that's sufficient for us, our, His divine help that comes by His grace, we can die to ourselves and put on the new man. And we can start serving God, and we can start serving others. We can stop thinking about ourselves so much and start thinking of others. We put on the new man. Now I'll say this, uh, this makes a lot of sense too, is you cannot talk yourself out of something you behaved yourself into. Right? So when you think about controlling our mouths and all these things, you cannot talk yourself out of something that you behaved yourself into. So we have to, this, this life is no joke. Our testimony is no joke. And we can ruin it in a second. And how do we ruin that testimony? It's by walking in the old man. When we won't forsake our flesh and stand up against what this world has to say, we let the world make fun of you. I mean, we live in America. What's the worst thing they're going to do is slam the door in your face? Who cares? Let them. We've got to tell them the truth. You put on the new man because our testimony, man, if once we ruin that, we're, we're being in trouble and we can't talk our way out of it. And if we can do these things, 
if we can follow this, this path here the, the, of how to do this, how to, how to you know, control yourself and to take some things out, to put off some things, if we can do that, our life will be rich. Now, I'm not talking money. Again, I, I'm not talking that. I'm talking about rich as in fulfilled. Peace. Real peace. Joy. The things that Christ has to offer. And so, lastly, if you're, are you not, if you're not fulfilled tonight, if you're sitting in here and you're not fulfilled, one thing you've got to do is you're going to have to put off the old man and put on the new man, which is formed after righteousness and true holiness. If you're a believer in here, and you're sitting here, and that's all you have, and you're feeling empty, that's what, this is what you have to do. I would actually encourage you to read this whole book of Ephesians. It's so applicable to what we need to do with our life as a Christian. And if you're in here unfulfilled, and you don't know Jesus Christ, I urge you to come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And to understand that He came, and He lived a life in your place. He lived a perfect, sinless life that you were intended to live, and he died a death that you deserve, bearing your sin on the cross. And that he was resurrected from the dead so that we could have the victory over that sin and that death in him. And we simply put our faith in him, and we can uh, be redeemed. And then we can start walking with this new man. So I urge you to turn to Christ tonight. Let's pray.